Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dean Rogers Show. Today, we've got a very special guest, Jake Mendoza. What's up, Jake? What's up, Dean? Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Hey, guys, welcome to the Dean Rogers Show, where we talk about real deals that we're doing and bring on awesome guests to talk about how they're finding success in their business to inspire and motivate you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All right. See you on the show. I'm so happy to have you here because we have personally worked together um, on my content creation journey. And I have to admit, you have been a pivotal, uh, you know, a critical person in my journey to really help give me the confidence to go out there and put out content and feel like I'm doing a good job because of everything that you brought to the table. So I'll, I'll fluff you up a little bit there and uh, <laughs> to get this thing started. But uh, so happy to get have you here um, just to give everybody a little brief background on Jake. So Jake was homeless at 15. He actually moved from Arizona to Fresno and stayed at uh, the rescue mission, which were some, you know, very uh, big years in, in your life as you developed as a, a young man. Um, you got involved in a church, which was critical for, for your development. And then ultimately you started business in the creative industry. So um, quite a journey. I can't wait to dive into the details there. And then if you guys want to connect with Jake, you can go on Instagram at tribe called Jake, tribe called Jake on Instagram, connect with Jake. Uh, follow along. I love seeing your stories. I love seeing what you're up to. You're working with a lot of different clients now. All your involvement in the church is awesome. So, dude, let's dive in, man. Let's talk about you and and who you are, what you're all about. Yeah, uh, I kind of want to go back to something you had initially mentioned. Uh, I was kind of first starting my career in the creative industry, and so when you and I had traveled to Arizona together um, to do the Carlos uh, to do your podcast on uh, with Carlos Reyes. Um, that was really put, put life, not, yeah, put life in a perspective, especially like my professional for the professional aspect of my life and a perspective. Um, it made me realize that, uh, this new path that I'm on business-wise is just another mission field. Um, faith is a really big part of my life. Um, I believe, um, Jesus wants a relationship with everybody. Uh, a deep personal one. I don't think there's any other religion like Christianity. And so um, what he's called me to do is to be a light and to shine my light wherever I go. And um, when the opportunity presents itself to present the gospel to people. And so when I went on that trip with you, it was really, I guess I will say it was life-changing because I felt like I I heard Jesus tell me like, this is why I called you to start a business. Wow. It's a mission field. And I never wanted to start a business. Working at church, um, uh, yeah, working for the church, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm really cool with doing this. I'm passionate about ministry. I'm passionate about all things creative, so I could do this. And and the church doesn't pay much. Like in ministry, you kind of really never paid what you're worth as far as like your skills, your talents go. And that's just the way ministry is, right? Like, and I'm totally cool with that. Uh, but I quit. I quit my nine to five. Um, I was working like a part-time job at a pharmacy and I felt like God said, start a business. And then it's just kind of been, that was during COVID too. And it's just kind of 
rolled just i i can't sometimes i can't keep up so well i can yeah. say that that trip that we had together to arizona was so much fun um i got to know you more as a person i mean we talked about some super deep stuff pretty yeah. quick <laughs> you know like we didn't we didn't really know each other before yeah. that we knew of each other we had we had connected through a mutual friend stratton brown um but we really didn't know each other but we got pretty personal pretty quick. And I think that's just kind of who you are. Like you're a person who's able to be vulnerable yourself and invite someone in. You give like that comfort. Right. Um, you know, you're like a warm blanket. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go over here. I'll talk with Jake, you know, I'll, I'll tell him what's up, what I'm thinking and feeling. Um, yeah. And there's not many people that I'm open about with my feelings, you know, uh, personally, because- I've always been a high performance guy, you know, back to the NFL days to now it's, you know, high intensity, high pressure, and it's all about like getting the job done. So I'd say, you know, I really appreciate um, who you are and the conversations we've had because it's just, it's really felt good, you know? Yeah. I'll say I was, as I got to know you on that trip, I was really surprised. And this is probably pretty um, ignorant for me to say, but I was surprised that like your, your EQ, your emotional intelligence was pretty high. Like, I don't know if it's like, tell my wife that (laughs) you assume assume all uh, I did, you know, you assume most guys in the industry are, are meatheads. I guess there's a stigma there, or maybe that's just me, but um, yeah, your ability to kind of like, go deep and, and, um, you know, sh- you shared about your dad and you shared about f- your family. Family's really, I know family's a huge value for you. Um, and so I was able to relate. And so you've mentioned, I'm like a warm blanket. Sometimes I feel like I'm a, I'm a weighted warm blanket. Like <laughs> sometimes if you go too deep, it can kind of, maybe you tend to overshare or and that's the kind of person I am. I'm definitely an overshare. But yeah. uh, I really feel like we did connect on that trip. I learned a lot about you and I learned a lot about myself as well. So that was a really, really great trip. And to see yeah. you connect too, like to see the power of networking and like seeing you put yourself out there. I know after the the Carlos Reyes podcast, we uh, we went to a, an event. I forget what it was. Uh, Justin Wealth Colby. Event. I can't remember what it was called, but it was, it was hosted by Justin Colby. Another yeah. great dude. And, and to see you just kind of like put yourself out there and and go and meet as many people as possible, um, it, it was just I learned about how important networking was. Yeah, well, I feel like if we were together right now doing this podcast live, we'd be like on the couch hugging each other or something right now. You know, like, <laughs> no, we'd definitely be again, dude. yeah, <laughs> we keep we keep uh, we keep fluffing each other up right now. So um, let's dive into your story, man, because I think sure. it's really really powerful. And I think it's really relatable to a lot of people mm-hmm. and, uh, and you can go as, you know, personal or detailed as you want, but I, I think it's important for people to hear this story. That's why you're here because, um, not only are you a great person and what you do, your craft is, you know, you're highly skilled and talented, but you as a person in your journey and what you had to overcome and how you had to develop as a person, I think that's where, that's where, you know, the the secret sauce the amazing part is of your story so let's dive in man yeah uh well <laughs> oh, excuse me you have to edit that out protein yeah, just cut that out <laughs> too much protein <laughs> um yeah so i grew up in uh arizona 
was born in Fresno, grew up in Arizona, um, and uh, kind of was uh, lived with my mom the whole time. And um, single single mom, you know, she was a cop, so I had this like overbearing uh, parental figure figure my whole life, and so naturally I was a I grew up a rebel. Naturally, and uh, so when I was about fifteen, uh, I decided I wanted to do things on my own, and uh, didn't really have any guidance. Didn't have a dad. I didn't know my dad. I never knew my dad, and uh, so I just kind of wandered through life, and then uh, got addicted to drugs and alcohol. And just couch surfed from 15 to, uh, to 19 till I moved back to Fresno where I thought I had some family. Um, I thought I could, uh, stay with family and it didn't, that didn't work out either. And so, uh, I ended up on the streets of Fresno staying at the rescue mission for about four months. And, uh, it was quite a trip just kind of like I was going to school at the same time. So I enrolled at a school because I thought. I, I enrolled at a trade school because I thought if I could at least have somewhere to go during the day, like I could shower, um, I could just kind of like have a place to sleep. I could go to the library, just like somewhere nice and cool um, to read or whatever. Um, and so I ended up going through like a, this pharmacy program uh, at a trade school and I completed it. And uh, but during that time of uh, going to school, I was at the while I was at the mission. Um, I kind of got comfortable being there, hmm. being at the mission. Uh, you sleep, kind of sleep on the floor every night. They open the doors at 5 a.m. You got to be out on the street. And then I would go to school all day and then I would come back uh, and they would open the doors at five and then you'd sit through a church service. And I don't know how much impact those church services had because it was like mandatory for you to sit through that. And they were always like these really old guys coming through from other small churches and doing really playing really old hymns. And I just remember just kind of like falling asleep the whole time uh, going through that. And then you'd go after the church service, go up and take a shower with a bunch of homeless guys and uh, and then get ready for bed. And so that was kind of what I did for three months. And I remember one night specifically, I saw something pretty, pretty crazy. And, uh, I remember turning over and getting out of my bed and I went down to this little prayer closet that they had and the prayer closet was for, um, people in a program. So the rescue mission was open to kind of any ma man who just wanted to come through, but then they had like people who were court ordered to be in a program there. Mm -hmm. And so they had a prayer closet for them. And there is this picture of white Jesus up on this little room. And, and, uh, I remember kneeling down in the pew they had in there and I said, God, if you're real, uh, I'll change my ways. I'll stop being a manipulator. I'll stop lying. Uh, I'll, I will, I'll submit and whatever it is that you want to do. If you're real, just send somebody to get me out of here. And so a couple of days go by and I had a family member reach out to me and, um, uh, and uh, say, hey, I want to help you out, help you get back on your feet. And uh, so one of the things I had to do while living with that family member was go to church. And so I found this church uh, with a lot of young people my age. And I can't remember what the pastor was preaching about, but I remember I gave, I really gave my life to God that day. And uh that's kind of like where life, the whole trajectory of my life turned around at that point. So that was. Is there I asked you some like super personal questions about that time? Is it all right? 
Yeah, is it all right if I ask you some yeah, super absolutely. personal question? Uh, yeah. What Just, was what was that really, really, really like living in a re- in the rescue mission? What were you? Did you feel like lost, scared? Did you feel rebellious, rebellious and frustrated? Like, did you were or did you see hope? Like, hey, I'm I'm out of my prior situation. I'm on my own. I got like, what were your emotions? as you went through that period of time? Um, I think uh, like the main thing was like, who can I, I'm trying to like the, the, the most raw feeling like it, it, like if I'm processing like where my attitude was and like what my goal was at that time, my goal was just to survive. When I was at the mission was like, that's all I was thinking was how can I survive? And a lot of, a lot of that comes from um, manipulating people. So, I mean, homelessness is a job. I, there's there's people that I see. So this was, I was 19. It was over 10 years ago because I'm 31 now. Um, there are people that I see on the streets of Fresno that still panhandle. And I remember meeting them and sleeping next to them. And this been over 10 years and, and they still walk these streets. They're on the same corners because, um, that's all it is. They're comfortable. I got a place to sleep. I got a place to eat dinner and breakfast and I get, and I go out and I stand on my corner all day and I get this money and then they spend it on most of the time they spend it on weed and alcohol. Um, and so that's kind of where I was. I, they called me the youngster around the mission. Cause there wasn't really anybody around my age at that time of the mission. And so I just hung out with, it's interesting. I just kind of hung out with the guys who kind of treated me like a son um, because that's what, that's the biggest hole that was missing in my life mm-hmm. um, was a father. And so uh, I just hung out and smoked weed with the guys who would kind of take me under their wing and, and, and didn't seem crazy. And you'll be surprised. A lot of those people at these missions are not crazy. They're just comfortable. And that's it. That's that'll preach right there. You're not crazy. You're just comfortable. <laughs> um, that's but, pretty wild to think. Cause I think, yeah. you know, a lot, when, when you get into the entrepreneurial entrepreneur space, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big mantras that, that people are, you know, chanting out there is just the fact that, you know, the entrepreneurs they are willing to, to avoid comfort. They're willing to seek growth and through growth, you're, you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's almost, you know, the exact opposite of they're, they're seeking comfort to the extent of mm-hmm. like giving up everything else. Yeah. And the, the hard thing too is, is if you don't have, and that's like the man, one of my biggest things is like fatherlessness. Like I can identify a young man without a father who doesn't have a father because he has no drive because he gets comfortable too quickly. Um, uh, he's not really motivated by anything. Like a lot of people are motivated by accomplishing something or a goal or like, this is what keeps me motivated is like, if I can get a done, I can move on. I can have the motivation to move on to B. Right. Um, and so I'm really big on, on, on fatherlessness because like there's in these times, this is kind of going in a different direction, but in the times that we're in right now, it's like, our men are soft. Our men are so soft. And it's because we need fathers. We need fathers to stay in the home. We, we, and even if, even if you're not a father or even if you have kids that are grown, you need to take a young man under your wing and you need to father him. 
and you need to show them what it is to work hard, to be a, a to be a man of God, um, to take care of your family first, and to take care of yourself last. To literally die to yourself every day, so that you can grow. Um, the Bible says, "Husbands, uh, lay your lives down for your wives, as Christ did for the church." And if we look in the Bible, what did Jesus do for the church? He died. And so that's the daily decision that we have to make every day is I have to die to my preferences. I have to die to the things that I want. I have to die to that new shiny car that I feel like I have enough money in the bank for. um, And I have to lay my life down for my wife and my kids. And that is the hardest thing for me in the season of life that I'm in now as a business owner, as a father, is I still always think of myself first, always. Yeah, that I mean there's some there's some deep stuff in there and I think I'd agree with you is mm-hmm. there's there's two there's two there's a generation of soft people. There's been some comfortable times mm-hmm. in, at least in the United States for decades now and mm-hmm. um and a lot of just fatherless homes has created a lot of soft men and you can see religion becoming less and less of a thing. Um, God less and less present in a lot of households. So I think there's just a lot going on and I'm seeing at least in the entrepreneur entrepreneur space, there are some great leaders that are, that are calling, putting out a call to action that like, Hey, we, as men got to step up, we got to be leaders. We got to lead our families. We got to lead. Um, uh, we got to lead in the church. We got to do all these different things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I align with all of that. So, uh, was your dad an entrepreneur? He was. Yeah. What did he do? Software. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's so, dope. so I grew up, you know, seeing that world. And mm-hmm. in my story, I talk about how, um, I saw the good times, right. To where we had money. Um, uh, we were comfortable. We were taking trips to Europe. Um, and I saw, tough times when it's like, oh, in business, things happen. Like mm-hmm. economic things happen. Uh, business relationships can can fall through and money gets tight. And then it's a question of, hey, you know, hearing your parents say, I, I don't know if we're going to make payroll next week, you know? Wow. And so growing up in that, it kind of hardens you a little bit and scares you too. Of like, do I even want to be in that position? Like I'm seeking comfort as a kid. And so I thought to myself, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur because I didn't want that pressure, right? Do you feel like uh, seeing your parents go through financial hard times affected you like negatively or positively in your relationship with money? Yeah, I'd say it affected it affected me negatively of being scared of money without mm-hmm. question. Still to this day, way? still to this day. Um, in what way are you scared of money? Um, scared of it thinking that it could be lost. Or not mm-hmm. having enough, um, right? Like my financial position now is is great. It's very strong, um, and I should feel extreme comfort. But at the same time, um, I constantly feel uh, afraid of not having enough. What uh, when you were in that headspace or in that headspace? What what decisions did you find your unhealthy decisions? Did you find yourself making with money? Um, honestly, I think my behavior with my behavior with money because of that, I think is the most healthy behavior 
in the sense that I will constantly delay gratification. So, mm. so you might have some argument. Someone, someone on the other side might say, oh no, you need to think way more abundantly. You need to enjoy your money more now, right? Um, and at least for me, my lifestyle has been increasing my, my mm-hmm. comforts around me and, and abilities to do things. But at the same time, um, I'm constantly being frugal myself. Now my family might, like, if I was a single man, like the, I, I would be frugal to the extent of like, you know, I'd feel, I'd probably be like Donald duck where I'd have money all around me and I didn't <laughs> want to spend any of it. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, or whatever that duck was. Right. But, um, but yeah, so my family definitely pulls that out of me to, to spend yeah. and enjoy it. So. So, you're, so you're saying your wife is the spender. You're the saver. Oh, without question. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. See, I'm screwed, bro. My wife and I are both spenders. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny though, is my, my wife grew up the polar opposite of me of not, of, you know, growing up very, very poor, oh, wow. um, very unstable, uh, household, all that kind of stuff. Right. Long, long story about that. Um, mm-hmm. And so those people growing up with that experience, they go one of two ways. They either go very frugal, uh, entrepreneur, investment heavy, you know, big, big success, or they're really not good with money and they don't know how to manage it. They just, they have it, whatever they have, they spend and then they overspend. Right. Right. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. No, I know a thing or two about that leaving, living beyond your means. I had, uh, I had very poor examples of um, uh, financial stewardship growing up. So my mom was the type to, you know, when she got her check, we'd go out to eat. She'd take me out right. to, you know, wherever it is I wanted to go. We usually go to the movies. That was the kind of our thing that we did when she got paid. Um, but I remember kind of, you know, eating waffles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, eating peanut butter and jellies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so, um, that was, that was kind of like the example that was set for me with money growing up was just like, Hey, when you got it, spend it. And when you don't got it, just try to make it until you get paid again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm, I guess my circumstances made my behavior with money of being really frugal with it. And, and treating every dollar like it's important mm-hmm. to, and then, ha- you know, happen to be lucky that I got into business and I found real estate and got into investments. Right. I want to, I want to invest every dollar I have into wow. investments. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to touch it. I, I mean, to the extent where like for me to buy clothes for mm-hmm. myself, like I know I can afford it and I know that I want it. But it will take me two months or longer to buy, you know, that one workout shirt because it's just like I, I don't want it, and I can't. It reminds it remind, what you just said reminds me of something uh, uh, Scott Farrow and Kate Barrett. I produced one of their podcasts, uh, or or their podcast. It's called the Pursuit of Property Podcast. Yeah, and um, uh, they said something the other day that something Scott had to realize was that. Um, in the entrepreneurial space, especially in real estate, or, and this could ap- kind of apply anywhere, is $100,000 is not a lot of money, but $100 is a lot of money. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of, that, that it's a paradox of like looking at money, like 
sure, $100,000 isn't going to take my business to new heights. Like it might help in the moment, right? But $100, think of how I spend $100. Do I spend it on, you know, uh, new pants or do I spend it on a new Bluetooth speaker or something like that? How, how many, how much work am I going to have to do in order to recoup the cost of something that I spent on irresponsibly? And so it, it really put the, I've really been chewing on that the last few days is like, what am I spending? What am I using my business to buy things for that my business does not need at all? Mm. And if I feel like it, it maybe might need it, I probably still don't need it. Um, because that's a hundred dollars that I could have, like you said, invested back into my business. Right. Yeah. I like that saying that's a, that's a really good one. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel about it too. Like, um, you know, when I'm, when I make payments for things, mm-hmm. it, even though it's, you know, $50 or whatever it is, it, it always hurts. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I was uh, like, no, don't go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's an interesting thing to, to kind of work through, um, yeah. and going back to you and like your journey, I think the other question I have for you mm-hmm. is what that experience was like for you getting involved in the church Were you, did you really resist it? Um, were you just looking for anything to kind of like get involved with? Like, what was that process like for you? Sure. Uh, when I started going to church, it was kind of mandatory for me for the person who took me in. Yeah. And so really I would go every Sunday and, and I would just read the Bible. Um, you actually read it. Yeah. I would read the Bible. Um, is that cause you're a reader or like you were just like a very curious person? Well, it's a mixture of both. For one, I am a reader. I read, I read a lot of fantasy, like Lord of the Rings type stuff. I'm a huge nerd. Um, but I wasn't interested in listening to a guy shout at me for 90 minutes every Sunday. And so in order to block him out, I would read the Bible. Hmm. And that was kind of like the primary thing is like, I didn't want to listen to the messages. So I just read the Bible. Um, and then I started to like really see who Jesus was. And like, when I got to the gospels and then I was like, there's no way, there's no way that a guy like this ever existed. There's no way that a guy like this ever did anything like this. Um, and so it really piqued my interest and it really made me like vehemently op- uh, oppose that there was the fact that there was, this could be real. It was just, it was just so out there. Christianity is just so out there. Every kind of every other religion says the same thing. If virtually every religion, I will, I will double down on that. Every religion says the same thing that if you are a good person, then you, then you can go to heaven or you can be reincarnated into uh, a minotaur or something like, but the Bible says that there are no good people like you're not good enough. There's not a, there's not a certain amount of money you could give to a charity. Um, there's not, uh, uh, there's not a set number of righteous acts that you can do in order to be a good person because it's, you're all motivated by self, uh, hmm. by self advancement. And that's not what the kingdom of God is in about. It's not about yourself. And so it really like the, 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 the content in the Bible really challenged me, mind, body, and soul. It was like, this is, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. People should not be living this way. People should always be looking out for themselves first. Like how else will you survive? And, uh, so 
one day I uh, went to a different church with a lot with some young people and, and um, I didn't know the music was really good. Like <laughs> I'm kind of like a punk rocker. And so I gotta like, say that can make a difference. That, <laughs> yeah. can, make, that can make you feel more, feel more spiritual, man. I, I gotta yeah. admit it. Uh-huh. And uh, so the music was good. And then the guy who came out and preached was fairly young and, and um, he was funny and it was cool. And I, I remember him saying, he, I want to say it was a message about the father, but I don't really, I don't really know. I just remember I resonated with it and I was like, I think I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And I did. And, uh, then I started coming back every Sunday and then I, I realized like you could get involved in a church and you can serve and you can like do stuff. And then they learned that I was a musician. And, uh, so they were like, Hey, let's put you on the worship team. You play guitar and and you sing. And, and so I did that for almost 10 years. I still do it from time to time. I mainly, I do like broadcast and camera stuff now, but, uh, and I, and when they put me on the worship team, I was still smoking weed. Like I had a huge, <laughs> I had a huge problem with smoking weed. And, and so I was on the worship team smoking weed and they were really patient with me. Um, hmm. I wasn't really judged and everybody kind of had this thing where it's like, yo man, we got our own crap. And we're just trying to pursue God together. Um, but if you're in this community, that's the thing. So like when, when people are hurt by church, I would say most of the time it's because um, there's something that was probably brought up to them and they didn't like it. And they didn't want anyone, anybody to go near that stuff in their life or they didn't want to be told how to live. But what I realized is relationships have rules, right? Like when you're in a relationship with Jesus, there's rules. When you're in a marriage, there's rules. You can't just do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're in a community, when you're in a relationship with a bunch of people at a local church, like it's the same. There's rules there. You don't just get to do whatever you want. You don't get to listen to somebody and then go tell their business to other people. Like, And so um, I began to learn like, okay, in church, there's rules. And um, uh, one of those things was like being pastored. Like if you're in this community, then you're saying yes to being pastored by somebody. And I realized that that was very helpful for me. It helped me grow. Um, it helped me be around people who uh, could point out my blind spots. Like I'm not an administrative person. So as like I became a leader and a pastor in the church, I realized that I do not have a gift for administration. Um, and so like, I have a really great gift for vision and ideation and, and, and uh, just like projects, anything creative, like I'll learn it. Like, and, but I was very poor administratively. And so I went through this season where I was constantly dropping the ball, constantly not following up and, and everything was like just falling through. And so, um, just being in the church really helped me become more self-aware what my strengths and what my weaknesses are. And, um, just kind of how to grow. Like that's kind of been the journey for church for me. And I still to this day, continue to grow, continue to have hard conversations with my leaders and my pastors. Um, it's funny because my senior pastor, who's the closest thing that I have to a dad, most generous guy I know, um, gave me all the equipment that I needed to start my business. No way. And yeah. So uh, when our church moved from one building to the next, he was like, hey, I need you to kind of take a step back from worship. And I'd really like for you to learn how to do broadcast and do video. So, and I'll give you whatever you need for it. 
And so I said, okay. And, um, I got in touch with like, I, then that's when I realized I had a gift for networking too. It's like, I just reached out to people in the church world who were like up there, like Hillsong Bethel type people. I don't know if those ring a bell, but they're like, yeah. So like multi-million dollar church organizations and they were more than willing to help. And they gave me, they kind of answered all my questions. They helped me troubleshoot. And along the way, I'd started to develop the skill. And shortly after that is when I met Stratton Brown, who wanted to live stream a podcast. And um, so I used those skills that I learned. And then Strat had me fly out places and do content for him. And I realized I was like, wow, I'm, I'm uh, making a lot of money here. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I hear Uncle Sam's going to want a cut of this. And so that's when I felt like God told me to start a business. And then my pastor, I submitted that to my pastor. I was like, hey, I feel like this is what God's calling me to do. Um, I just wanted to run that by you, but this is where I feel like I'm at right now. And he was like, I believe in you. Um, and whatever you need, whatever equipment that you need, you can take it for the first 90 days until you kind of build that money to buy your own stuff. Wow. And so, um, yeah, it's, it was really cool to see him in, in my corner at such a pivotal time in my life. And, uh, I did my first year in video, I did a hundred grand. And so my goal this year is, uh, cause I only been doing it for one year. So this year my goal is 300. So I know Ooh, it's not, baby, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's not, uh, I know it's not, you know, they're not r- real estate numbers, but, um, dude, those are big numbers. Yeah. And That's so big money, dude, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. So, don't, yeah. don't downplay that. Those are big <laughs> numbers. Like thank people you. will work a lifetime to, to get their salary up to that. And they're working in, you know, corporate and stuff. So like, those are big numbers. Thank you. So uh, one thing I want to talk on, touch on real quick before we transition more into what yeah. you're, you're doing today. Cause yeah. I think that whole journey is, is so important, really laying a foundation for you. How important was there being youth present in the church for you to go all in? Cause it sounds like that was a pretty important part of it where you'd had some past experiences, a lot of old people coming through uh, and kind of yeah. preaching at you, but how important was the youth and the worship to get you to, to really open up? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of torn on that question because, um, my theology, like the way that I think about God and the way that I believe the Bible, what it has to say about God has really changed over the last year. Um, and so before I really felt like it's important for somebody to feel like they fit in or belong at a church. Um, but the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Like a lot of times people will say things like, Oh, you just gotta, when it comes to church, I mean, well, you just gotta get in where you fit in, or, you know, you gotta find your tribe and, and, but like, really, I don't see that in the Bible. Like I see the, I see, I see people just the church collectively coming together. And so before I think it definitely helped. It really helped me um, be more comfortable in a setting where there's people who are my age. Um, and, and it was attractional. The church was very attractional to me uh, when I went from the older one to the, the one that was kind of like more of my, my age demographic. Um, and I really felt like that was God orchestrating that that way because he knew exactly how to reach me. And so, um, I feel like that really did play an important part. I also believe that if there are no youth at a church, your church is dying. 
Um, so that's kind of like contradictory or I've there's seen that, that firsthand. That's the paradox is if, if there are no babies being born in your church, there's a problem. Um, because your community isn't developing, your community is not growing. And in, in the book of acts, it says that when people got, God was adding to the number of his church daily by the thousands. And so she may look different today, but I mean, if there's not babies being born in a church, man, like you got to have a young adults ministry, a singles ministry, youth group, something. Um, but I feel like the most important thing, at least in today is, um, God's church, especially in the West, um, we need people who know their Bible. And so, um, that has been the most important thing to me now is I, I do, there are a lot of youth and young men and, 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 uh, who come to the church that I work at, but, um, it's not enough for it to be cool and relevant and the music to sound dope, even though I'm really passionate about all those things. Like if somebody can watch at home, so that's what I do uh, here at the church is like with the broad, with the broadcast in mind, I want to create an awesome experience online. So people can be like, I want to be there in person. Like it's so amazing. It looks so amazing online, but I really want to be there in person because I want to experience it for myself. If, and then when they come here, they can be like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to be here. I really want, it's so much better in person. And then you get saturated in the community, right? And then you get to see that people accept you for who you are. And then we can, um, we can begin to teach you what the Bible says. We can put you on a path to like really knowing God for yourself, not just sitting in the pew and like having somebody preach at you, but we really want to equip people and know them. Like you can have a personal relationship, God, and he wants to speak directly to you. And we can, we can show you how to do that. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at now is when, when people are like, oh, the music's got to be cool and relevant. I, I, you see so many trends in the church now, like everything is so trendy and clicky, clicky. And, um, it's really just like, it's turned me off. It's made me a little jaded, um, towards like relevancy in the church. Like you have to be relevant in order to reach people. But I still understand that, uh, a lot of people are won over that way because I was right. So, yeah. No question. Um, Actually, what's your experience like with church? For me, I grew up in a very um, liturgical church. Very um, trying to think of the right the right word, but it was you know an Episcopal church, uh-huh. uh, about as close as you get to Catholic. You're, you're yeah. showing up. You're you're reading certain scriptures from the Bible um, out loud with the rest of the congregation um, mm-hmm. every single time to the point where if I go today back uh-huh. to that church. Right. And I, I live, I don't live in the area. So, um, uh, from time to time I do, I can repeat without looking at the book and reading it. I can repeat everything as they're saying it. If you ask me to say it, you know, from memory now, I wouldn't be able to, but whatever gets triggered in your brain in that deep memory spot, as yeah, soon as the, ever, the rest of the congregation starts for, you know, saying it together, um, I can jump right in line and, and say what it, you know, say whatever we're saying. Um, so, but I, I like that, you know, and that's just kind of what my upbringing was like. It was very structured and um, very routine. Um, but as I grew up, like as I got into college mm-hmm. and after college, I really, really enjoy worship because our our form of worship in, in the Episcopal church were singing hymns mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I love to sing 
those songs and, and I would, you know, sing at the top of my lungs, but it, it didn't have as much emotion or worship as more of the, um, more modern day churches do. Right. So right. I do really enjoy good worship, um, because music in itself moves me. And if I'm singing about God, like, dude, I got a bunch of emotion, like, about to spill over to the point where sometimes I'll be crying while I'm singing. Like there's that much emotion that just like comes to the surface and it feels so good. Like I just got like a surge of energy just saying it right now, you know? Um, so that, that to me is important. Um, finding the right pastor who can speak about the Bible and Mm -hmm. something relevant to your life now, I think is really powerful. And I love a really good sermon. Um, that's, truly genuinely relevant while referencing scripture, you know, that's, that's the style I like. And I, again, growing up in the Episcopal church, it was very like, very scripted out. It was very, um, it was very old school, very old school. And and there were parts to it that I would, and at the age that I was, it was harder for me to sit there and listen to the same tone and the same kind of rhythm of the, the, the sermon to really truly connect. Um, but a really good pastor giving a really good sermon is something yeah. that I enjoy, you know. I will say this, I will say that that's one of the things too, is like I feel like we could be now the church and the West could be more liturgical because I think that the reason why people are leaving, young people are leaving the church in droves, or you don't really see a lot of young people come to faith is because there's no respect for religion and there's no respect for tradition. Hmm. Uh, Everything is kind of like a cafeteria, a a melting pot of like, I can pick things that I like from here and I can, I can pick these new age spiritual um, practices, crystals and chakra and, and, and all this stuff. And, and, and I can have the teachings of Jesus because like I, those really resonate with me too. Um, but they, but they don't, they can't. Right. And so you have this, like this, this kind of like new wave of, of spirituality that still leaves people confused that doesn't answer life's questions for them. Um, and really like, doesn't really hold any weight, uh, when people go through tough times, right? Like, will put their faith in crystals and it's like you wonder why you still feel like crap but you lit all the candles and you rubbed all the crystals or whatever and you wonder why you still feel like crap it's because all that's a counterfeit there's only there's only one thing that can satisfy the soul there's only one well of living water uh that can truly satisfy and that's jesus and so i feel like we just to kind of go back to my initial point is a lot of people have lost respect for tradition and religion. Like you don't have to have an old school service. Our church, the church I work at is by no means like that at all. And that's totally cool. As long as we teach what the Bible says, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. But I mean, that's, I, yeah, that's what it comes down to is like, we have to at least have respect for tradition and religion for sure. I think that's a good point. I think that that is true. And that's, that would uh, that would help to understand why a lot of people are the way that they are, mm-hmm. just ge- in general, um, in the modern times, you know. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. So, kind of transitioning to how you got started. I think that's really cool. How 
Stratton kind of helped kick things off, yeah. get involved in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, how did, how did the trajectory go from there? Like what was, what were some of the key moments, right? Cause I, I know the whole story and you don't have to go through the whole story of like, well, I did this event and then I did this event, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what were some of the like key things as you reflect back thinking of the networking was something you found out you were good at. You already knew you were create, you know, good at everything creative. Um, what were some of those key things that you did to really just have it take off and have that success that you did? Um, I think it like really, it all came down to saying yes and kind of seizing every opportunity that came my way. Um, so yeah, I did Stratton's podcast for a while. And then he was like, Hey, let's travel. So we traveled a lot and really it was getting involved in everybody. So Strat was like, Stratton's interesting because he's connected in a lot of different circles. And I only, and I only know that because, uh, I've, I've traveled with him the most out of anybody. So I'm sure if I traveled with you, I would, you know, I would be like, Oh, you're connected in a lot of other circles too. So I, I, uh, travel with Strat. And then I got connected with Noah. Noah was kind of like the second person who, uh, Noah Hoffman was the second person that I, uh, connected with. You were the third. And it was funny. My first job for Noah Hoffman was when, was when I did a job, I booked a job with you. Uh, and so I was doing a job for Noah in San Francisco. And then that's when you called me and said, Hey, can we, can you come out to Arizona? That's right. That's right. Yep. Um, and so when, with Noah, I got connected with Munif. I got connected with Pace and Jamil. I got connected with that, the sub two circle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was really interesting. And, and then with you, I got connected with Rochelle Jarvis and I got connected with, uh, Carlos Reyes and some of his video people. Um, so just, I got connected in all these different circles. And that's what really helped me take off is just building relationships with people in different circles. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, and that's where it kind of led me where I am today. And through that process, I really was able to niche down uh, in, in my brand and in the service that I provide, which is podcasting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I always love talking with people in the creative space because... Mm-hmm the whole ability to capture moments and, um, and capture conversations and emotions, all that kind of stuff. There's, there's just an art to it. There's a skill and Mm -hmm. entertainment will always be, um, something that people are seeking out, right? Like the fact we're doing a podcast right now, someone's going to watch this. They're going to get value from your story. Someone might be moved by it, right? Like there's, there's something powerful about that. So I always like talking to creative people, and, you keep, um, you keep mentioning that word story. And it's funny. Cause I like, I really love that word and it's kind of what I built my business on and it's telling people's story. Mm-hmm. And so, and kind of what I do is create content, right? So we do the podcast and then we create their content. We help them build their brand. And really the heart behind that is really easy for me to pitch. I mean, there's an element of sales when acquiring a client, right? But it's, 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 it almost doesn't feel like sales when it's something it's you're pitching that you're extremely passionate about yeah. and that you know it's proven to work. Um, not even in the sense of like, you know, um, psychology and sales, but like for me, I tell people like, hey, you have an amazing story and this niche 
these, these people that you're going to reach, you have already identified the people that you want to reach. And that's going to help you go so much farther, faster, because there's only a certain type of person that really resonates with your story specifically. And so if you can tell your story, you, that story will find the people that you're trying to reach and they'll watch anything you do. It doesn't matter if, if Dean does a, a, a realty podcast, if he does an entrepreneurship podcast, if he does a podcast about Pokemon cards, because of his story, his personal story, people will follow him and listen to anything he says because they like Dean. They don't want to buy a house from Dean. They don't want to do deals with Dean. They don't want to know about his football career. They just want to be around Dean and just like listen to anything he says because they love his story so much. And so I just recently had a client who came on uh, with us and he um, is a vet. And he wants to do a podcast that um, kind of resources veterans in the VA and help to help them become investors by leveraging their veterans benefits. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I honestly, I think it's probably going to do the best out of anything in our portfolio because it's so niche down and he can relate. First of all, he's a, he's a vet. And then he's like, I'm passionate about helping vets realize their, their benefits that they have, because a lot of them like when they get out of the military, they, they don't know how to live life. And I was there mm-hmm. and, um, I want to help people in the same situation as me. I'm like, bro, you're going to, you're, if you create content for that person, then you will, you will reach them like no without question. it. No yeah. question. Yeah. I love so, that. And so, so it's just about your story resonates with a certain person and it's really so going to be authentic. You got to just be exactly. you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, here's, here's my last question for you. Yeah. Um, how do you get to 300,000? Uh, okay. So uh, sh- practically speaking, I'm thinking practically, like what practical steps am I taking? So last year I did a hundred thousand on just referrals. I didn't, I didn't follow up a single lead. I didn't call anybody. I didn't call a single person and ask them if they wanted work um, because I was still really insecure. I was just like really insecure. Like, I knew I was good at what I did. Like I'm a creative. And so anything I really put my time and energy into, I know I can make a great product, but at the same time, um, I didn't know if like I fit in with you. I didn't know if, if I fit in with Strat, but it really ended up not being about that. And this is something that God had to really work on me on. But uh, this year, practically to answer your question, uh, I had to pursue active leads. And so uh, following up with clients that I've worked with in the past. So if you watch this, Noah, Strat, Dean, um, I'm going to be giving you a phone call. <laughs> hey, how can we work together? How can we make more money together? Um, I joined a mastermind. So nice. I, spent, I spent 27 grand for the year on a video mastermind that is, wow. that is hyper-specific to my niche. Um, and, they're, and they've given me all the tools um, to, uh, to help my business grow. And so I'm leveraging all those tools in the mastermind in order to, um, get sales and, and, and get to 300,000. And, and, uh, it's just, it's crazy. I think my problem is right now is like, okay, I'm, I'm continuously booking people for podcasts and I don't want to have enough people on staff for these projects. And, and, and it's a really good problem to have, but then I have this fear of like, I want to be able to take care of this client. So, uh, like I, now I have to get my hands in the mud and spend late nights editing, which I felt like I'm not supposed to be doing. Um, so I'm also like looking for editors, looking for people who can, yeah, just anything like that. But that's, 
that's what I got to do is I just got to go out there and I got to grind this year. This year is going to be a grind. I just got to get out there and ask people, how can we make money together? So that's it. Awesome. Well, I hope I can help you get there, uh, whether it's through more connections, more, more events, collabs that we do. Um, so anybody who's looking to get in touch with Jake, again, you can reach him on Instagram at tribe called Jake. Uh, your company is Ascent film company, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's it. You guys can look him up there as well. So Jake, so thank you so much for being on, man. Um, always a pleasure talking to you. Um, I feel like you're a wealth of, of knowledge, man. And, and it's the, the, the knowledge is deep in life and perspective. And, um, so I always appreciate talking to you, man. Um, always makes me feel good, that warm blanket. And, uh, and it gets me thinking, man, it gets, you always bring up different emotions and, uh, and that's something different for me. So, so I appreciate that, man. Don't, don't make me try to out honor you, bro. If you're trying to honor (laughs) me, I will, I will out honor you. Can you imagine imagine what, like what entrepreneurial space would be like if everybody just tried to out honor each other. Right. I think we'd all be so much more wealthy. (laughs) Maybe so, dude. Yeah. Maybe so. Well, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It was an honor. Um, I love, I, I love you. I love your family. I love what you're doing. Friends of benefits. I think that that is awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a quick thing. Dylan miracle, um, coach, my oldest daughter in wrestling. I know he's in your program, Connor too. Shout out to Connor. He's a great guy. If you're going to shout out Dylan miracle Uh while we're on this call on this filming, this podcast right Uh now. Yeah. We just closed a deal together right now. Are you serious? Yes. No way. That's a a $32,000 deal, bro. I'm going to call him right after this. $32,000 $32,000 deal. We just closed together. I'm gonna, so wow. good for him. I, I was, I was popping my eyes over here, seeing when we we're going to close and right here, uh, on record. So deal closed. Uh-huh. Yeah. His, his first deal since joining the coaching program too. So good. Yeah. Way to go, man. So again, man, just want to, just want to say thank you so much. Um, mm-hmm. appreciate you for being on, uh, make sure to reach out to Jake, connect with him and until next time, everybody, peace.